Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And this week, we get to talk about two stories where vampires just get their asses kicked the whole time. It's just two stories of vampires getting beat into the ground. It's uh, real good if you hate vampires. I approve this message. <laughs> I think, I mean, we're deep into Crimson Val. We're two sets into Innistrad visit number three. I think people can be rightfully a little exhausted of vampires. Well, uh, regardless of how you feel about them, this is like two stories where they just keep getting their faces kicked in. Like, that is like a recurring theme, and I noticed it while reading. Just like Soren just gets beat up. Streffen Maurer just spends the whole story getting emotionally and physically beat up. It's it's pretty uh it's pretty intense, but I liked it. Uh news for this week. Do we have any news for this week in the world of uh Borthosia? New alchemy cards with new there's some new legends out there. Um oh, yeah. interesting. So uh we might uh brush over that later with uh some flavor gems if we decide that's what we want to do. But well, I mean like we did mention last week we were like, oh, we're kind of bummed because like the Tybalt comic happened on Innistrad and we didn't really get to see any mention of that. And then the uh, Children of the Nameless happened on Innistrad and we didn't really get to see any of that. And then there's like not two direct references, but two references in the one of them is direct. Yeah, one of them is very, very direct. So yeah, that is that is worth mentioning. We did get a, a new Tybalt Planeswalker card in the Alchemy set and a card for uh, one of Davriel's demons, who is a big part of Children of the Nameless. And this is a reference to Children of the Nameless showing up in a modern set. If you want to read Children of the Nameless, good luck. <laughs> That's uh, one day. One day they'll uh, post a PDF on the story site of Children of the Nameless, and uh, they'll put a little note there apologizing to all of us for keeping it from us for so long. Um, they will not do that. But if you are in Germany, you can get a print copy of it if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> but only if you live in Germany uh, and only if you ordered it before they took it down. I don't think it's actually even still available. Um, we can ask some of our German listeners and they can let us know. But um, yeah, just a print copy of Children of the Nameless. Apparently, you can get it in German, uh, not in English, but in German. Available in print soon. Rip. But uh, we're not going to talk about ch- Children of the Nameless this week. We'll talk about Children of the Nameless once they post it back on the story website. Um, we'll have a little party. Uh, but this week we will be covering uh, episode four of the main story and episode four of the side story, which is the last side story. Yes, they broke the cycle. They printed four side stories and did not print the fifth one. The color imbalance is real. Yeah, you need to have the complete cycle or else... I'm going to personally lose it, you know? Carrie is notoriously a fan of cycles. It's uh-huh. we, we, we appreciate the four stories because it gives us time to actually talk about the two-set non-block of Return to Innistrad. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's also Christmas time. And this is also the fifth set of the year. I, I don't really care if they have five <laughs> side stories or not. So... Oh, I mean, yeah, it is is helping us out because that means uh, the next episode we can talk about the last main story and then we can just like, I don't know, chill, hang out for a little bit. I'm sure they won't drop anything uh, big at the Game Awards tonight, which is happening uh, as we speak. Uh, For all we know, you know, they're not going to talk about Arena there. Uh, They might announce some new like, you know, pro play with millions of dollars in prizes at the Game Awards and then never follow up on that because, you know, that's happened before. The world will know. 
The world will know. That was at the Game Awards, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that live and I saw it crumble <laughs> in front of me. So. It's <sighs> the world will know. <laughs> the world definitely knows something about magic. Um, maybe not all the good things, but they know something. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, we've got those alchemy cards. We've got the game awards. Uh, we can start talking about magic story now. You know what? I know. I want them to announce Chandelier 2 at the game awards. <laughs> Jesus. I think it's been long enough. Spell slingers be damned. Arena be damned. MTOG or MTGO be damned. So hard to say that and not think moto. Um, <laughs> we just need a second Chandelier. We need to know what happened to our beloved character who <laughs> is unnamed and defeated Arzakhan. Just like just like we needed to know for Magic Legends exactly half a story. So they'll do a they'll do a Chandelier 2 when they do a return of Leshrac. You know, because they'll do that in some story somewhere. You know, I think actually the story of the return of Leshrac would make a really great story for like uh, action adventure uh, MMO. Uh, MMO, maybe not. Maybe just an ARPG. We can t- sell it as an MMO, though. <laughs> Guys, it is really cold. I don't think we need any more shade. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we don't have Jay and Lorelai on here. We just say whatever we want about Wizards of the Coast. They don't pay me any money. True. It's the oh, salt man. cast. <laughs> uh, the D&D Strixhaven book is now released on... Uh, it for your local gaming stores and for dandy beyond uh, i have not had a chance to review it on dandy beyond because i buy everything there just because it makes things easier for me but um seems like it has some interesting stuff from the little bit that i've seen so yeah i've heard very good things about it just from people in the dandy sphere i don't really play myself but they seemed excited about it so yeah, I've seen people talking about it who uh, don't even realize it's a magic product, <laughs> who uh, who just think, oh, cool, D&D released like a, a wizard school, a magic school setting. That's fun. Uh, they don't realize like, oh, no, that was like a whole magic set. But I mean, most of us forgot about Strixhaven anyways. I know I did. That's a joke at me for several podcasts ago, listing off all of the expansions that have happened recently and forgetting Strixhaven was one of them. Oh, no, I've definitely done that as well. So you're not alone in that. Yes, everything happens so much. I don't know what comes out. But uh, I know what came out uh, several weeks ago. We're just <laughs> now going to talk about um, back in the storied month of November, uh, long before we reached December, uh, pre-Omicron variant, we got uh, week four of the Crimson Vow stories. Um, and we're going to start off this week by talking about episode four of the main story, the wedding crashers. So uh, last week we are not last. Well, yeah, last week we we talked about the end of uh, episode three of the main story and how the wards came down and everyone was really excited to go in and crash the party. And we're getting that crashing right now. So uh, the Gatewatch and Arlen and Adeline and Chandra, you know, the the whole crew uh, start advancing into our Voltaren estate. And like the Cathars and the townspeople that we they brought with them are even more bloodthirsty than the planeswalkers are. And they're like struggling to keep up with all these like regular everyday humans who are just like impaling the vampire guards and like tearing down the defenses. Uh, Chandra quite literally burns down the door to let everyone in, uh, which causes just a huge flood of people storming into Valderan Castle and just killing every vampire they can see. Uh, at, like Arlen is kind of in the back and is struggling to keep up with everyone. 
uh, Kaya sort of meets up with her and is like, hey, uh, we, we need to move faster. There won't be anything left for us. By the way, I can just feel that there's a bunch of ghosts here because like people who were killed by the Valdarans are like just kind of hanging out waiting for their chance for revenge. And so like Arlen's like, good. Could you like, you know, set them loose? And then Kaya's like, yeah, but also like I feel Katilda. Katilda's here. So uh, Kaya goes about her merry business uh, cleaning up the binds on the ghosts, I guess, and letting them loose. Uh, Arlen gets into the ballroom. She sees Sigarda, who is all you know bloodied and beat up, but is just lopping off vampires' heads with her scythe. Um, she gets in like a little fight with a Markov, like a Markov blade master duelist person, uh, like a guard, I guess, and um, beats the crap out of them. She she has not transformed at all. She's kind of like not wanting to transform right now because she doesn't want to let the the werewolf out of her uh but she and a bunch of these spirits kind of close in on olivia because it turns out uh olivia's dress is made of ghosts and kaya realizes this and cuts the dress open and lets all these ghosts out so olivia becomes overwhelmed and runs off and arlen follows her uh but we get a quick cut to edgar and soren who are in the sanguatorium which is incredible because when i say it's called the sanguatorium i don't mean like soren calls it the sanguatorium or like we get any world building thing where it's like oh yes that is olivia sanguatorium uh soren sees a sign that says it's called the sanguatorium <laughs> the plaque outside the room so like olivia named this place herself she named it the sanguatorium which is very fitting and this is like where a bunch of blood is stored i guess for i don't know the winter or whatever i didn't really think you could keep blood like that but they figured out how um so there's just vats and and vats of blood in here uh and soren gets in a fight with uh, edgar uh edgar ran here as soon as sigarda showed up so soren follows him and they have some exchanging of biting words at each other uh edgar is being incredibly mean to soren and it feels a little out of character but most of what we know about Edgar comes from Soren, so we might have been getting a kind of, you know, rosy view of Edgar before, uh, but Soren's pretty sure Edgar's under Olivia's influence, but maybe some of this is a little sincere. So they're fighting, there's a lot of sword play, there's some pipes being smashed on each other. Uh, at one point, Soren gets thrown into a vat of blood and just, like, drinks it, because he's like, yeah, why not? Um, Soren, uh, smashes edgar's head in with a pipe you know a regular old skull crack hits him for three can't gain any life um but uh yeah it's it's like a lot of fighting in this blood which is really gross and just made me think of the underworld movies and also blade do you remember like in blade where there's like a, a like a shower of blood that happens at one point and everyone's just drenched in it Chris Blake hasn't even come out yet i am the only person i think it's phase <laughs> four right no like the original blade the original Blade with Wesley. There's Blades. an original one? Yeah. It was like oh the first gosh. comic book movie. Yeah. No, people no, I'm like, aware no. of it. I just never got to see it because I was way too young for it. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely saw it so many times when it came out. I was not supposed to be watching those movies. That's not good for a child. But yeah, there's just blood everywhere. Um, at one point, like Edgar dunks Soren into a bunch of blood and Soren starts having a flashback to when he first became a vampire. Uh, interesting detail from that is that his parents were there. So we kind of assumed his parents were dead, but in his flashback, he sees his parents. He calls them out as being there when he's turned into a vampire. 
maybe they weren't there and it's just his like hazy memory or something or maybe soren's parents are vampires and maybe they died somehow before this or they could just be out there who knows he does not have a good relationship with them so we're just not going to dwell on that um but yeah he has all these flashbacks uh he's like drowning in blood kind of and we cut back to arlen fighting olivia um there's this motif of falling that happens with soren where he's just falling and falling there's religious connotations once again i will tap the sign that says just read the story uh, (laughs) because the beautiful language and the way that like these emotions are described and like it's fantastic and i can't i can't give it enough credit by trying to describe it to you instead of just telling you to go read it um anyways arlen is like fighting olivia she's running her through the whole estate uh, they end up in like a dead end. There's all these like portraits of old, you know, Olivia Voldaren's family and friends, I guess, everywhere. Uh, Olivia just is kind of beating the crap out of Arlen because Arlen's refusing to transform. Uh, and then Arlen finally transforms and she like really lunges at, at Olivia. She knocks her through a statue. Um, it's clear that Arlen is winning this fight, but she's sort of animalistic and all of these portraits are taunting her. So she starts ripping them up. And that's when uh, Olivia sneaks up behind her and stabs her hand into her. And that's the end of the story, which ends with Arlen also falling. Fantastic. But uh, any thoughts on the Wedding Crashers? I I appreciate getting to see like a little point of view of like everybody. You get to see what Olivia is up to, what Edgar and Soren are doing, all of the Gatewatch and pretty much the entire force of the church going in there, Sigarda being there, Katilda being there in the background still. Um, confused, because like there were two legendary cards from the side, like Owen and Vince, and they weren't there. <sighs> I was waiting for that. You were waiting for that? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the Owen uh, and Vince reference. Um, <laughs> if you know, no. if it makes you feel better, imagine uh, Soren Markov is being played by Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn is playing. <laughs> He's just getting his head dumped into the tub of blood and you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, you know who was in Wedding Crashers? Christopher Walken. He could play Edgar. That would be that would be a pretty good fit. Could totally you, see it. Now you imagine. need to cut this because we cannot give the magic movie writers who have been in the works for a decade <laughs> any more ideas. <laughs> but uh no, yeah, this was like genuinely a good uh you know climatic climactic fight to the story and again just like these sets the main story of these sets have really had so much more room to breathe just being a two set non-block like you get to see everything through from beginning to end and you get to have a space for like truly fantastic scenes like um the last story in this story where like this story had a lot more happening than the last story, but you just got a whole bunch of like descriptive language and things that magic story has not historically had a lot of space for in the past. Um, you, you're not like obligated to get in every single story beat within five stories. And that's just like applause to the way that this return to Innistrad has been approached. It gave it, infinitely more space to work with in comparison to other return sets that we've had recently so yeah i mean the only other return set recently i think was theros so bad comparison there but uh, <laughs> technically technically we did go back to zendikar oh uh, yeah zendikar yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, Zendikar felt crunched, but it was also the first of the new, new era story approach. So kind of gave it a pass for that. But this one just like, again, my appreciation continues for um, for this return being structured the way that it is because we get to see things through and aren't as rushed. Even, even if it would have been a one set return and have happened in the fall and there was no winter crimson bow slot for us to take up or no story in that slot like you just have so much more to work with and i think um people are going to miss that as soon as we get back to the faster paced five and done stories so yeah i i've really enjoyed the main story of midnight hunt and crimson bow because it does like i think they could have taken the whole story where like there's the ritual it gets crashed by the werewolves and then Olivia steals the key, and then she has a wedding, and then they have to end that. Like, they could have done that in five episodes, and it would have been awful. <laughs> like, it would have, but like, it could, it could work. They could have done, and they could have done it all in one set, and it would have just been bad. And so, do I, yeah. like, do I genuinely care about the Moon Silver key? No. Do I genuinely care if these vampires get married? Not really. Like, do I care about the Eternal Knight? No, because like it's not going to stay eternal. It's kind of <laughs> poorly named in that regard. But we um, we just get like an actual story. Like you get to see characters fully fleshed out, room to breathe. Everything about it feels great. Yeah, we would have gotten like if they tried to make it all into one block. We would have gotten like one story that had a mention of Arlen and Olivia fighting on like. Soren would have walked in and been like, oh, yes, I took care of my grandfather. And be like, <laughs> oh, thanks. Cool. Glad that happened off screen. Um, yeah. And like, I don't want to say, like, Kaldheim's story was bad or Strixhaven's story was bad. Like, they're not bad. They just, like, are suffering from the limitations. And this set has proven that they are perfectly fine to break those limitations. And I'm kind of sad that there's no other two set non-blocks coming up in the next year or so um or not in a sense that we can really perceive there could be like weird supplemental tie-ins where they decide to do story something else like that but like for the most part it's just been enjoyable which is something i want to emphasize because magic story has not been enjoyable in quite a while you just like get to sit back and actually read and have fun yeah there there is like the chance you know that like the story from kamigawa just happens to like flow directly into the story of streets of kapina or something um but it's unlikely but i mean like it's possible but very unlikely um yeah so we'll we'll see but overall really enjoyed the story thought it was uh has some beautiful writing some really like great fight choreography like that's really hard to get wet like right in a story is like a good fight chore choreography um and this one has some really great moments between arlen and olivia but then also like the soren edgar fight way better than i was expecting it to be i actually did not think they were gonna fight each other so it was like really cool to like see that happen um yeah but uh we also have a side story we have the last side story for crimson vow this is the last like world building story we're gonna get for innistrad in a long time um and that is the devouring house by brian evanson this is his first time writing magic fiction. So it's just like, yeah, we've had a lot of like returning authors on some of these stories, but this is Brian's very first uh, magic story. And I loved it. So this story, Strephon Maurer, a vampire, falls into a trap set up by Brant, a vampire hunter, 
but manages to escape, wink, <laughs> after being hit by a, after almost being hit by a vial of holy water. Like he gets some splashes on it, but Brent misses the 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 full on crit like, damage. Crit damage, yeah. <laughs> the direct hit. <laughs> Evan, you're distracting me. That was hilarious, though. Um, <laughs> so Brant, after missing him with the holy water, rides off and like rides his horse into exhaustion. Um, and like right as he gets to the edge of this ruins, like when it's after his horse dies, he he rolls off the horse, turns to face Stefan or Strefan, and uh, offs himself and. Uh, the 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 blood Strafon goes to, to to drink his blood but he finds that there's no blood on the ground because it seems to be seeping into the like the ground seems to be like drinking it up or something and then he finds himself in this creepy house um it, it's it's a great story moment for me because just like he goes to open the door it won't open and he's like wriggling the knob and he's like he's putting all of his strength into the door and it's just not opening um so Brant or Strafan is just thinking back to the to the time where um to the time where he met Brant where he was I shouldn't say met where he runs into Brant um he's basically um walking through a village with a glamour on and he notices Brant has noticed him and he's trying to avoid eye contact because apparently the, the glamours, if you become the direct focus of someone and you draw attention to yourself, it can weaken the glamour. So he's trying to make his way away from Brant, but Brant has got his scent and he turns us, he sets the town on him. He, uh, he yells out, there's a vampire and the, the town gets up in arms and Brant or Strafon makes his escape um and he has to avoid that town for a while after a couple years he uh he goes um avoiding brant and you know he he's he thinks he might have be he might be in the clear um after having a few close run-ins with him um he he's visiting this town called shadow grange and hold up yeah, so he notices Brant in this town of Shadowgrange, where Brant is on this horse and he just goes clear through the town. And Strafon thinks he's been made and he's getting ready to make his escape, but Strafon doesn't notice him and he he gets away scot clean. Um, but we cut back to Strafon back in the house and Brant's body begins to move and then suddenly jumps up. And they they're doing this whole uh, circling around a table thing you know in the movies where you have somebody who's chasing somebody else and they're at this table and they're doing this whole going all around this table and then Brant or semi-Brant uh just goes through the table um and is making all these weird sounds like the sounds of dead animals um which is super creepy and excellently well written because Again, tapping that sign, read the story, because like the way that it's described to me was just super creepy, and it made me really think about all the worst sounds that I ever ever heard. And uh... <laughs> yeah, this uh, this story is like super creepy. Um, it is hard to like really capture exactly how creepy it is. The uh, the like monster makes these noises of all these like dead things, and like 
Strephon is a vampire and he's like an old vampire and he's like a powerful vampire um, by like, you know, most standards. Uh, so it's like really scary to think like, ah, yes, this monster is terrified. So like how scary does a monster have to be to scare another monster? Pretty bad. This guy does it. <laughs> <laughs> this thing does it. Yeah. Um, do you want to take it, Carrie? Or Yeah. Um, so... Strephon does his little shamble dance around the table, um, just continually asking Brent, not Brent, as it is put, uh, who he is. And the corpse um, can't find a pen, can't find a pencil, can't find a marker. So it just like <laughs> jabs its uh, hand into its own chest, gets some blood from its heart, and um, writes Hladvora, H-L-A-D-V-O-R-A, on the wall. And... Um, so, him saying the name sends the creature into a frenzy and they finally actually begin to fight. Um, Strephon chokes it until it's dead, um, or at least looks like it's dead, and snaps its neck for good measure. Um, he continues to look for a way out and pretty much only discovers pathways that send him further into this illusionary ma- mansion. And at this point, he's starting to like stop noticing that it's an illusion, where... Like, early in the story, he was fully aware that he was in ruins and that there was something going on with him. And now he's just, like, way too deep into it. Um, He stumbles the way down the the hall and ends up in a parlor where the wallpaper begins to talk to him using his mother's face. Um, The direct quote was, and then the rest of his mother pushed away her... And then... And then the rest of his mother pushed her way out of the wall on impossibly long legs and with impossibly long fingers. He could see that, however much her face seemed to suggest otherwise, this was not his mother. Um, There was a recent tweet that went around and it's like talking about how um, difficult it is to come up with horror monsters when you can just make a long guy. Like, (laughs) an usually long guy. And this is like, yeah, long people just a little creepy you know <laughs> they shouldn't be that long uh oh, there, there's like that popular like i guess it was probably like a tumblr post before it was a tweet or something where it was like uh we get really creeped out by things that look almost human you know like the the whole idea of like uncanny valley yeah. is like when something looks almost human but quite isn't and people are like oh but that means that evolutionarily at some point in time we learned to trust something that looked human but wasn't and i'm like no it's just long guys are creepy yeah (laughs) and also i saw a whole bunch of responses to that which seemed to make sense i'm not an anthropologist or um any kind of academic who would study this but they're like no it was pretty much to identify corpses because like corpses look human but they're dead like you should know what one looks like and you should be scared of it because it means that there is some kind of danger nearby and I think that's fine. I think that's a fine explanation of it. I subscribe to that. Um, I don't think there's secret shapeshifters who are going to look almost human and go after you. So, um, But this this dude definitely was. Uh, <laughs> so Strephon continues to focus on the wrongness of it all and uh, try to avoid being enchanted by it. Uh, he sees for a moment that he is in the ruins of his family estate and wonders where the twins went, the twins of Maurer Estate. Um, I believe Shadows of Innistrad Black Card. Yeah, I think he you, had uh... appointed them as guards of the house, the ruins. Uh, 
whatever was left of the house. I yeah, I, I think you like skipped over a plot moment where he like runs away from this like weird not mom uh, and discovers that he's like he goes into like his father's study because he realizes oh, yes. that this is like his childhood home that he's remembering. And he like walks into his father's study and there's like this like psychological terror of like his father is, you know, there's nothing scarier to someone than the relationship with their parents. So like it like, really drills <laughs> in on that. Um, and he's like, you know, scared of his dad in the study and like he falls through the floor and he ends up like in a bedroom where he finds his father's corpse. And it's like revealed that like the last time he was ever in this house, he left his dead father there and then just like pieced out to become a vampire. Um, yeah. And so, like, he's like, oh, it's my dad's corpse. And he's, like, really kind of, like, falling into this, like, despair. Um, and then the corpse starts moving. And that's when he starts, like, focusing on, like, okay, none of this is real. None of this is real. I'm I'm actually in the ruins of my family estate. He sees, like, the walls disappear for a moment. And he sees that he's in ruins. And there's, like, corpses of small dead animals and people and stuff everywhere. Um, and that's when he's like, oh, did this monster kill the twins? And the twins of Maurer Estate. We got a we got a story mentioned for him. So yeah, yeah. Um, at this point, he does shred his father. <laughs> <laughs> he tears- yeah, it's perfectly reasonable in the middle of the night to go into the kitchen, open up the fridge, and eat some shredded dad out of a bag. It's normal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's okay because it's not not his dad, or at least not his dad's insides. Maybe his skin. Who can say for sure? Um, mm. The creature inside, he fights it and eventually finally kills the Haladvora. Um, and he kind of like tries to recover from this all and is finally free of the ruins, um, but just continues to be wandering lost in the woods looking for a meal to sustain himself and keep him alive. And he wonders if he'll manage to live after all. So, yeah. Thoughts. This story was so creepy. It really <laughs> was. Like, I was it not was, expecting yeah. the level of creepiness. I I hope we get more from this author. It would be great to get more Brian Evenson stuff and magic because, like, this was good horror. Like, yeah. I I was creeped out. I thought, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like this is a powerful vampire and he's scared. So if he is scared, I'm scared because that is a scary you know situation to be in. Um, it really made him feel very human, you know, the, like, he's a millennial vampire who's afraid of his dad. (laughs) So look, some of us never get past our daddy issues. Um, (laughs) yeah, like this, this is a perfect capstone to these side stories. Like the Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow side stories have just been great. And like, I don't know, I have a real appreciation for short stories that don't reveal everything like not even in the like uh what was the earlier side story where the um guy helps out the ghost and just disappears and you don't know whether he actually went with the ghost to uh, find his yeah Um, exactly like we didn't get we got an ambiguous ending to that but this is just like on another level of like you really don't know what's going on here He's just being haunted by his family estate. Um, is he going to make it? Like, And the answer to that, uh, pretty regrettably for many magic stories, is yes. When people are left in ambiguous death situations, they do make them out of them. But yeah, this was just very, very good. Like, outstanding way to end off the short stories for the Innistrad return. 
Yeah, I um, I thought it was really cool uh, that we got such a like very diverse set of stories. Yes. Or because like we 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 got like the scary stories, you know, we got the devouring house. That one like this one we just talked about today. Very scary. Um, you could even say that like uh, his eyes, all of them, the um, the story about uh, uh, Vadric and Rim and like the the old stick fingers. Yes. Um, yes. That story was pretty creepy, I would say, but it was also a mystery. You know, it was a buddy cop story. Um, so it's like they all kind of had like a twinge of horror to them. But like this one was definitely like the horror story. It- it didn't end off with, and here's the legendary creature that was behind it all. Buy them in the next commander deck. Not that any of the other ones did, but like, <laughs> you, like you kind of got a resolution to what the horror was and what its intentions were, more or less, at least in Stickfinger's case. Um, this one's just beyond you. You don't exactly know what's going on half the time. And I think there's like a good way to do it, which is the story, and there's bad ways to do it, which are a few other stories from Magic's past that I won't say. <laughs> but yeah, this was just like an outstanding um, in a shot set where we actually got like horrific stories as the side stories. We didn't really have to do too many character pieces where it's like, here's the good legendary character. Like we got Odric's bit, yeah. but like for the most part, we steered clear of people who we've known before and if we were including people that we've known before, we were shaking it up significantly and making it tragic. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it felt yeah. grim. It, it felt to me like uh, every side story really stood out to me. They all have like a really interesting story that they're telling. I don't feel like we got like two stories that felt very similar. Um, I guess the edge of the world, the Jacob Hawkins story and his eyes, all of them were like kind of both buddy mystery stories, but they were very different like even within the mystery genre were very different. Um, but like, if you told me that the story, the first story we had tangles about Rin and seven was set in the same world as this last story, <laughs> I'd be like, no, there's no way. Rin, like the Rin and seven story had some like creepy elements, but it was not anything like the devouring house. Yeah. And then even survivors, which felt kind of similar of like the going through a ruins and discovering an evil monster at the heart of it all had a really different feel to it. Because it was like, yeah, it's an Innistrad horror story. There's some sort of weird nightmare creature involved. You know, people are stuck in a house. But it's like, but it was a story about, you know, the evils of landlords. <laughs> Instead just, of, yeah. yeah. We got the full range of side stories that could be told on this with like, without being kind of the standard horror side stories. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just happy. I'm happy we're back on Innistrad and doing good things. <laughs> I was sufficiently creeped out by the story, and like, I, if you had told me that I would be cheering for a vampire at the end, I would have told you you were you're, you had lost your mind. But this uh, the story found a way to make me cheer for a vampire to get out because that house was creepy as heck. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a place so scary. You're like, yeah, I don't even want vampires to be in there. They don't deserve that. They just kill and like eat people's blood, but like they don't deserve a house where you're forced to like interact with your parents. Speaking of the holidays are coming up, uh, very excited about that. <laughs> no, I have a good relationship with my family. Uh, they're great. If any, they're if any of my family is listening, you're great. But uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're done with the side stories. Um, yep, so it would seem. <laughs> uh, next week we'll be wrapping up our final 
episode of the main story of Crimson Vow, and then we're going to do like a retrospective on all of Innistrad, um, or at least the stories that we got from Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. Uh, so looking forward to doing that. But uh, for now, does anyone have any like final thoughts, I guess? I'm tired and I'm ready to go to bed. Also, um, I was on the CMD Tower podcast and we were talking about story and how my personal opinions on uh, what Wasi could do to make things more appealing to story. We've kind of gone over it here, but I think I'd go a little bit into depth on my personal feelings on it. Um, so if you want to take a listen to that, you can do so there um, at CMD Tower on Twitter and you can find a link to their podcast there. Uh, so I believe that episode came out either today or yesterday. I can't remember which, but it's out. So. But quick question, Brian. How many times does your suggestions for how to make the story better include the word elf? I'm not sure that I said the word elf once. <gasps> not the word Eladomri. <laughs> and new card. Yep. No, <laughs> Eladomri was not mentioned at all either. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how we get through a podcast without mentioning elves and Eladomri. So. Thanks for reminding me. I've got to... Re- I've got to say it more often. Thank, thanks for the reminder. We will, uh, we can quote tweet that episode below this <laughs> one on Twitter so that people can have a direct link to it. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, every time we post on Twitter, we include any uh, story stuff we talk about. Uh, my final thought, uh, I, you know, last week talked about uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. Going to bring it back up because I have been playing Final Fantasy fourteen for the first time in a long time. Uh the cues are pretty ridiculous. You've probably seen memes about it. You know, they are having like a server shortage because people keep buying like processors and all sorts of computer parts and, you know, supplies are dwindling. There's all sorts of problems. You can go read all about it uh, on places that talk about computers and not a magic story podcast. <laughs> but um, I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy 14. I am not anywhere near the new current content, but I'm enjoying it a lot right now. Uh, it's been a great way to spend my days. Um, and by that, I mean, I log in around lunch so I know that I can actually play when I get off work in five hours. So, uh, wow. well, I get through the queue and then I just, once I'm logged in, I just move my character every few minutes <laughs> <laughs> to make sure I don't get logged out. Puppeteering it so you're not kicked. Wow. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, like, it's really kind of a mess. Uh, I probably will try and log in after we're done recording and I bet the queue will be around 2,500 people. Um, but it's been fun and it's, uh, they've made some changes to various jobs and various like systems that have made it really fun. Uh, recommend it again. I think it's a great MMO. I think that, you know, no corporation was out there was out is without their faults, but I have never heard a story of a Square Enix employee stealing breast milk. So I'm going to give Final Fantasy 14. Uh, yeah. Blizzard employees apparently were stealing, uh, the, the guy Blizzard employees were stealing breast milk from fridges meant for, uh, uh, women who were breastfeeding. Um, So, anyways, that's my final thought for the week. I don't want to dwell on that one too long. God. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Tough act to follow. Um. Yeah. I don't really. I don't really have a final thought for this week. Just you know, holiday gift giving time. You know, nothing's better than the gift of a microwave gun to give people Havana syndrome and. It's a very real thing, and I think uh, you can definitely get those 
they definitely <laughs> exist. And they're definitely really being used against people who just really, really want to do their job, but are getting hit by a microwave gun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's all. Wow. Uh, if you want to give someone uh, a really good gift for the holidays, I've got a couple suggestions. One of them only applies if you live in Germany, and that's a print copy of the by Brandon Sanderson. Um, you can you can get it in print in German. Uh, can't find it on the the website in a PDF form, even though it should be posted. Uh, they should definitely put that back up for the holidays. Um, we'll see if anything ever happens with that. But, you can legitimately uh, get somebody. <laughs> A copy of Planes of the Multiverse by you can do that. A co-host named Jay and Ellie. So <laughs> Jay and Ellie, never heard of them. It's nope. so just a writing duo I know. Not um, not, Ricky, not Ray any bells. <laughs> um, you can also you could also just give someone uh, twelve bucks and tell them to use it on Patreon to uh, subscribe to the Vorthos Cast. You can become a patron for one dollar a month. Gets you access to our Discord server where Vorthos is from around the world are talking about Havana syndrome and breast milk. Um, We're talking about the real things. Havana syndrome, the queen being alive, all the important stuff. Things that are very real. Yeah. Uh, Trickle-down economics. Um, oh, ownership wow. <laughs> what are you talking about? Trickle-down economics is totally real. Yeah, don't worry about it. This um, is our most inscrutable <laughs> podcast yet. Jeez. Jay, we need you. Maybe come back. Oh, uh, uh, But yeah, you can join us on Discord for just a dollar a month. So, you know, give your friend 12 bucks and tell him to join our Discord. Um, you can also, for $3 a month, uh, join our live listen where you get to listen to, God, we, we were going for a while today and there was a full start and redo that we had to do, like, you get a lot of content by being a live listener. I'll just tell you that. Um, so we record every Thursday around 7 p.m., sometimes closer to 7.15, sometimes 7.30, depending on how much we talk before we start recording. So uh, join us. It's a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.